with you again. Um, I was making a call the other day and you ever get the operators anymore? An operator came on the line and asked if, uh, if I had the area code. I said, well, it's either that or it's sinus, but I've got something and I'm not quite sure what it is. So I think I have the area code and uh, I do have a little glass of water here and I also have a cough drop in my mouth, but uh, so I'll apologize at the beginning in case I need to uh, cough or sneeze or whatever it is. But anyway, it is good to be with you this morning, and I was asked by Bruce to uh, come and share uh, on communion sun on a communion Sunday, and I want to do that. And I wanted to talk about an important area that I think is significant for every church, and it's certainly significant for this one. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, of course, a Russian author who had been noted for his, uh, for his books. He wrote about the Gulag, a prison in Russia, where he served for a number of years because of the political dissent that he had against the country. And he got quite discouraged while he was there back in the 70s, day in, day out, having to work at, in Siberia. Hard labor, uh, as long, along with a bunch of other folks that eventually starved or died. And he began to think that this is just fruitless. It's going on, he has no hope. And one day he decided to just give up. His despair was so strong. He put his shovel down and he went to one of these homemade benches to sit down and he had seen it happen before where a guard would come up and tell the prisoner to get up and get back to work. And if he didn't, he would take his shovel more than likely and just beat him to death. And he'd seen that happen before and he said, I think now is the time I need to just quit. So he went to the bench and he sat there and he sensed this presence near him. And he looked up and there was an old prisoner who just grabbed a stick and drew a picture on the dirt of a cross. And he looked at that, and the man turned around and went back to work, and he began to, to look at that more intently, and it was as if something spoke to him. The cross. The cross upon which he knew Christ had died. And it just came to him through, I believe, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, according to Chuck Colson's book, uh, Loving God, how there's something greater than even the evil around, something more powerful than the, the uh, Soviet Union, something that will last, and it gave him new purpose, and he got up and went back to work. Eventually, he was released and became the author not only of exposing what was going on in Russia with the Gulag, but also faith in Jesus Christ. And he's become a spokesperson for a number of years. So that symbol is something that we use in churches. I see you have it here. You've got it in the front of the pulpit. You have it at your windows. The cross, because it's significant uh, of what it means for a Christian because of what Jesus did. Now, in and of itself, the cross is an instrument of torture, an instrument of execution. So indeed, it would seem odd for somebody to wear around their neck something like the electric chair or a hangman's noose or uh, a vial of poison as a symbol of that which is uh, to give you death. So why is this, which was indeed an instrument of torture, something so revered among believers? Because this instrument of torture becomes for us symbolic of what Christ has done and what we are here to worship. It says in, in the uh, passage of Scripture, John 12, 32, Jesus said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. 
He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knew he was going to die the execution of Roman citizenship by going to the cross. And this passage of scripture refers to the time of Moses when there were serpents around killing people in the wilderness. And they were asking for some kind of a salvation. And so God had provided a pole upon which the serpent was to be placed. And they would look upon that with faith in order to be saved from the bite of the serpent. If I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And there's something about the cross that's different and certainly different for us. The words that came to my mind when Bruce Anderson asked me to share in communion this morning was this. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what we say. But we say that because of why. There's something that Jesus wanted us to, what? Remember. And if he's asking us to remember something, it's usually not something new. It's something that he wants us to regularly keep bringing back to our minds the significance of what he was. So what you're going to hear today is certainly nothing new. But it's a reminder because Jesus wants us to do that as we participate in the elements today. I've used the acrostic, cross, C-R-O-S-S, these five uh, letters to indicate five words for us to think about this morning. And the first is the letter C, talking about compassion. To remember compassion when we think of the cross. We see in John uh, chapter uh, uh, 15, verse 13, a greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then, of course, the verse we all know, for God. So love the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, what's that about? It's about love. It's about compassion. But if I were to ask you this morning this question, what would cause you to be willing to die? I mean, aside from great pain, and I want to be relieved from pain or something like that, what is it that would prompt you to be willing to die? I think many of you who are parents to say, well, I would be willing to die for my child, for my children, maybe for my spouse or for my loved ones, and Jesus used that as a very illustration. Maybe for a good friend you might die, but to die for an enemy? And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The purpose? Well, it was because of the love of God, and that's what you're singing about. That's what it says in John chapter 16, that God so loved, so loved his creation, so loved the world, so loved you, that the cross reminds us of the extent to which he was willing in order to come on our behalf and to die for our salvation. A battle, a, a soldier may love his country so greatly, love freedom, love the values of it, that he's willing to die for the country, to volunteer, to give up his life. God, even in the Old Testament, shows over and over again how he initiates contact with his creation. How he initiated, even when Adam sinned, not only created Adam and Eve, but as Adam sinned, what happened? God was there in the garden saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? Now there was a separation, a serious separation, because he said, when you disobey, when you sin, death will result, you will die. Now from that day on, Adam was already beginning the dying process. <laughs> Even from the moment we're born, you know, we're going to begin the dying process. This life is temporary. Part of it all is 
comes right from the very curse of sin itself. But in looking at that, Adam, a God, continued to search and reach out. And Abraham calling a people unto himself, and Isaac and in Jacob calling a nation in order that he might demonstrate his love and, and, and redemption to the world. Called out to someone like Moses to lead his people into the promised land and called him even as a reluctant servant because he heard the cries of his people. And as they went forward, there was a Joshua and, uh, in the judges that were called to bring about a people to reflect the glory of God and to hear God desires to have a relationship with his people. This morning, God desires to have a relationship with you because he loves you. Individually and corporately. And what indeed the world has done is rejected him and they love themselves. They love what they do. They often don't need God or anything he has for us. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Sometimes we have that illustration of Jesus knocking on the door. But do you know, there was a time in your life, if you are a believer in Jesus, where he, by his omniscient sovereignty, knocked on your heart's door, made you aware of your sin and aware of his desire for you to open that door, to allow him to enter into a personal relationship. The cross is the means by which we do that. One of my favorite hymns, Amazing Love, Amazing Love. How can it be that thou, O God, should die for me, for you? That we understand that he not only died for the world, but out of compassion, he died for you. Second word comes to reconciliation, the letter R. And it says in the scriptures, in this term that is used, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses. Or in Colossians 1, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. This concept of reconciliation, the first one might be the purpose for which we see the cross. The purpose is love. This one is a, you might want to call the plan that he has, the, the awareness that, that God had to come up with a plan in order to make this thing work. We are apart from him. Now we hear on the news, uh, the, the nurses are not exactly on the same page as Abbott Northwestern Hospital and for the Alina hospitals, that they have a differences of opinion so strong that they're striking and refusing to work. So someone's brought in to be a mediator to talk about how we might be able to compromise in order to come to back to some kind of a reconciliation. Reconciliation with God isn't a means of compromise <laughs> because he's the one that has set the rules and not only that, he's the one who's perfectly holy. And a law was broken and sin separates us from God. That's not something he can just forgive, but we have a problem, and this is how, what the story of the cross is about. We have a problem which, which goes this way. Sin is the rejection of God, and once we become unholy, we are unclean, and God in his holiness is not only a God of love, but a God of justice and a God of sovereignty. How do we compare, how do we bring together justice, something that has to be met, and love, something which desires in order to us to have this relationship with him? And the answer he came, the plan was, I will come and pay that price of death. Everybody else is a sinner. No one else can pay the price because you and I and everybody else 
have committed sin and sins against God and have made us unclean. So there needs to be this reconciliation. And in the book of Ephesians, we read these words. For he himself is our peace, Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Sin on one side, sinner on the other side. There's this wall. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Spirit of the Father. How could somebody come before a holy God? In the Old Testament, they came up with this idea, a plan. An animal had to be killed, called the sacrificial system horrible. Aren't you glad you don't live in the New Testament? They had to take an animal, uh, a, a clean animal, usually the best of the flock or the best of the herd, and according to the restrictions, and they began this temple relationship after a while, but even from the beginning there were sacrifices made. The sacrifices that in order to, to have a relationship with God, blood had to be shared, shed. Something had to die in order for us to come before God. Do you realize that? Death had to occur because God takes sin so seriously because he's the God of justice. So he provides this means of the sacrifice to just kind of cover over the sin, but now he came a plan whereby sin itself could be eradicated to not just be looked over, but now cleansed and forgiven. He became the God-man, the one who came born of a virgin to represent God before man and man before God. No one else can do that. But it was a real man, a real God, who took this unique relationship, as it was explained in the scriptures, in order to take the punishment for our sin and became sin itself, and the judgment came upon him. Again, this week in the news, I read and saw the pictures of President Mahmoud Abbas. Do you know who he is? President of the Palestinians. And the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu who is in charge of Israel, and it was the funeral of uh, Shimon Peres who died, and now here came the president of the Palestinian group and the prime minister of Israel, and they made history just because they came together and shook hands at the funeral. Now that certainly is not reconciliation, but how could people who are so divided regarding their philosophies of who owns the land and all of the wars that relate to that, the Arab and the Jew, to come together at least at this point to shake hands to honor someone who sought peace during his days that he was in power in Israel. We've had animosity ever since the days of Jacob and Esau, ever since the days of Isaac and Ishmael. And even one of the things that surprised me, I had to have another reawakening. I may have shared last time one of the volunteer things we do is to work with international students, many of whom are Muslim and one who recently received the Lord. And I had to be reminded again when I see some of their Facebook posts of how they put up some of the atrocities that the Jews are doing against the Palestinians. And I think, oh yeah, there's, there's a lot of hatred and animosity among this group. How is it in scripture? How is it to bring two warring parties together? Well, I'll tell you how it is. I, I, we help support at Stansfield, where I used to pastor, one of the 
ladies, maybe you've had her speak here, Dr. Pat, uh, New Service 2000. She works with Palestinians, works with Jews, works with a lot of people from the Mid Middle East in order to provide a witness. And she comes back and forth and she was able to share and show some pictures of a, a, a radical Islamic terrorist who came in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ and turned his heart over to the Lord. Even the very appearance of what he had changed as he became a follower of Jesus. And then a Messianic Jew, a Jew who had also received Jesus Christ. They don't agree politically, they don't agree nationally, but they agreed on what was more important than politics, more important than race, more important than their country, is that which is eternal things. And here they were arm in arm, hand in hand, recognizing that we are brothers in Jesus Christ. What in the world can take such animosity and turn it into compassion? Because Jesus was able to pay the price in order to bring warring parties together and this was God's plan whereby the holy God could, could bring forgiveness to one who paid the penalty, took our place on the cross, was able to substitute our sin upon him and die for us to give us cleansing, forgiveness and freedom. Can you imagine even today the extent by which you're able to talk to God, you're able to pray to him, you're able to come before him, because you have been reconciled through the blood of the cross. Or that third concept as we go to obedience. It says here in Philippians chapter 2, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of a on a cross. Or you remember that time in Gethsemane before Jesus was about to be crucified, he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Is it hard to be obedient? <laughs> I should say. Does it look to be uh, uh, something that is an attractive thing to go to the cross? Not on your life, even for Jesus in that human, that human aspect on earth. Where it said in that context that even his sweat was as sweat as blood. But it was the plan it was the process by which this plan is to be carried out. The awareness that even from, from the very beginning of, of, of uh, Genesis, there was this uh, set out the prophecy that the Son of God, the, the, the seed of the woman, was to die. Or it is fulfilled in various passages in, in the Psalms, of, of their, we call them the Messianic Psalms, there he began to say on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That came from the Psalm as a prophecy, a prediction of what was going to happen to Jesus. Or how it went into details regarding the insults and regarding casting of lots. And all of these predictions that were people in the Old Testament were looking for the Messiah. These, these were the things that they wanted to kind of excuse to realize that there is suffering. And Isaiah 53, what a tremendous passage. Took our sorrows, carried our grief, was pierced for our iniquities. No bones were broken about him. And like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And in this picture of the sacrificial lamb, the suffering servant, is portrayed even in the Old Testament because of the importance that the, the, the process was laid down by which he was to be obedient to the eternal plan of Almighty God from the time of uh, our understanding in the, in the Old Testament. 
So he calls us to also follow in the footsteps of Christ to be obedient. <clears throat> when I went to Bethel <coughs> College, back in the 60s, excuse me, it was part of a Bethel Royal Players, if anybody's heard of them, they're the people that put on plays. And in that context, I was uh, given uh, a play uh, that we were able to tour around to different churches out west. And the play was called The Conquest of Burma. It was the story of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was the missionary back in the 1800s that went into uh, Burma. And I played the part of Adoniram, and so uh, his life story became very real to me. And quite an important sacrifice, because as he graduated from seminary and had the privilege of going to education in an outstanding seminary, a very prestigious church in Boston invited him to come and be the assistant pastor on staff. And he thought and prayed about it, but he was not at peace. And he said, my work is not here. God's calling me beyond the seas. To stay here, even to serve God in this ministry, I would feel it would only be partial obedience, and I would not be happy in that. So out of obedience and against everybody's advice, he left his home, his parents, his family. He took a wife, Anne Hasselbring, and in going over to this area of the lost heathen of Burma, they had a child who then became very sick and died. After a few years, his wife became sick and died. In time, he came and married another woman who then developed an illness and died. There became a revolt in the land, and he was ending up in prison and beaten for his faith and very discouraged. But the most discouraging part of his ministry in witnessing over and over again to the people of Burma was he had no converts. And after a long period of time, there was a man who came who tried to help him with translation that came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then there was one, and there was two, and there was three. Adoniram Judson died from our perspective, not being very successful. But from that seed that was planted, God, by his mercy, brought up a number of people. Now the country's called Maymar, under control. It's still illegal. But I had the privilege to go to India, and there in a school, Many of the students who came from Myanmar, came from Burma, were great-great-grandchildren spiritually of the kind of roots that Adoniram Judson used because of his obedience to Jesus Christ. And they're there studying for mission service. Now, they weren't there legally, but they came in order to go back to their country to start churches. And I get regular reports of one of the students who has started a continued church, and the church is growing, the second greatest religion in Myanmar even though there's persecution going on there. Because persecution doesn't make a difference when obedience to God's greater plan becomes more important than life itself, just like Jesus did. Because it says he even was able to, with joy, go before the cross because there's something greater that's coming as a result of this. If our mindset is only regarding this world, it passes away. It's gone. But if he realizes there's something greater to come, and here now there's a people called unto himself. So the passage then next reads in uh, the book of uh, uh, Matthew, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We look at the cross, 
what Jesus has done, but the cross is also a symbol of obedience. And as we look at this, the question has to come back to us. What about us and our obedience? Are we willing to say, Lord, whatever, as Jesus did, not my will, but thine be done? At a communion time, is it appropriate to ask ourselves, am I being obedient? Is there sin that I need to confess? Is there a way in which uh, I need to listen to Jesus' words as he gave it to his disciples that went this way? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I tell you? Am I really your Lord? We are not saved by works. <laughs> There's not enough things we can do. We're saved by grace. But in receiving him, he does have a call upon our lives. Are we willing to take that seriously, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus to obedience, even as his obedience brought about for us freedom? Well, now we go to the letter S. The first letter that comes to my mind is Satan's defeat. <laughs> John 12, 31, 32. Now this is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Hebrews reminds us, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He's on a rescue mission. The more I read about Satan, the less I like him. <laughs> the more I am aware of how he plays dirty and see the effects of sin, my heart's broken, but not nearly as much as it hurts God, who created Satan and the angels, who in their rebellion began to do havoc, and once judgment came upon them, now they're doing everything they can to bring down God's people, right from the very beginning of Adam and Eve on through today. Why do we have such persecution going on throughout the world? Why is it that our world is in such an unbelievable mess that needs reconciliation? I can tell you what's going on in our world today in one word. I can tell you what's going on in America today in one word. Satan. We are in spiritual warfare. We are in the process of seeing something more cosmic going on. Righteousness and worldliness. Things that are temporary and things that are eternal. From Genesis 3.15, right from the beginning, it said that the seed of the woman was to crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent was going to injure the, the, the heel. And he did through the cross. This was the, the conflict, the power behind it. This was the awareness of who's going to win. And Jesus didn't win by overcoming as he will in victory when he comes again, but by giving himself to the plan of God that in defeating Satan, he took upon our sins and now death itself is destroyed. Sin itself is done away with. Remember I talked a couple, of, well, when I was here, I think last time I talked about salvation in three different ways. We have been sinned, we have been saved, we are being saved, we shall be saved, and we have been saved from the very uh, 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 power that sin has over us, the penalty, rather, that sin has over us. We are being saved by the power that sin has over us because we're in the process of sanctification, and we shall be saved from the very presence of sin itself. Why? Because of the cross. And I'm going to talk about that here and as we get to the, the second S when we look at salvation. But now there is victory in Jesus. Now there's release from from his power. We don't have to be bound anymore 
but now he comes regardless whether we're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, slave or free, Gentile or Jew, Arab or Israeli. We come because Satan seeks to divide and destroy and kill, but he came to overcome the power of Satan and gives to us the victory that is ours because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We need not go that path anymore. We have a way out. And Colossians chapter 2 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Victory in Jesus. Can you claim that? That in Christ, we're not what we want to be. We're not what we used to be. But God's in the process of making us into the image of his own son because of the cross. We are free from the bondage of Satan. And that last S, which I already commented on, is salvation. Remember our salvation. That's the, the, the final product that comes because of the cross. That Jesus came in order to seek and to save that which is lost. It says in John 3, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for all for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Oh, thankful for the resurrection. But first came the death. This thing that we call salvation, the past, the present, the future, is the reason why most of us are gathered here today. You have been saved by faith because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, if you haven't, the invitation is for you. I don't know your own personal story. I don't know what went on. I do know that there's a lot of ways and words that come from various teachers and preachers, but it all stems around the cross and the person of Jesus Christ and putting your faith in him, that he died for you and that you need to confess your sins to say, yes, I do accept that, not just with my head, but with my heart. Lord, take me. I want to be yours. And he has knocked on your door. He has initiated the opportunity for us to come and be cleansed of all unrighteousness. And in that context, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sins. And when people looked upon Christ on the cross, it was the Spirit of God that began to change some of their thinking. Here was a, a thief next to him. One thief said, oh, if he's this important person, let him call upon his angels to come and save him and save us. And he began to mock Jesus on the cross, but not the other thief. He stood next to him and said, remember me. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And it was the case that Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was the thief that realized his sin and saw the need for his salvation. It was the centurion who, after witnessing all of the things that he and his, his uh, compatriots placed upon Jesus, stood at his death and said, truly, this was the Son of God, different than any other prisoner. It was Joseph of Arimathea there at the cross, 
who became a, a, an interesting follower of Jesus, but when he died, he was no longer a secret disciple. He went and asked for the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, the same thing. There was something that brought some courage to them, even in the midst of the death of Jesus, because this one should not have died. Please, can I take his body and give him a proper burial? And all throughout history, people are brought to the cross to come to say there's an exchange that can take place. Righteous for unrighteous in order to make us righteous. One missionary was trying to get the concept of Jesus across and showed a video of the, the passion of, of the Lord through one of the videos given by Campus Crusade for Christ. And as they watched the crucifixion, this tribe in India began to shout because he was a good man. And then he be began to realize what it was that happened as he was able to tell the story of how our hearts can go from darkness to light, from death to life, from lost to being saved. And they came, and they wept, and they came to Christ because of what they'd seen and because of what God's Spirit allowed them to understand. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. As a chaplain with Ramsey County Sheriff's Department, I can tell you the name of Jesus is not taken very well. It's okay to talk about God. It's okay to talk about another power. But you have to walk a fine line when you talk about Jesus. Why? Because people love darkness rather than light. Because it exposes our sin, but there came one who, in spite of that, loves us. In spite of this, opens up opportunities where people can know truth. And now we take some elements. Bread, symbolic of his broken body, and a cup, symbolic of his blood. That becomes the very product of the cross, it in and of itself doesn't forgive us from sin. It in and of itself doesn't save us. In and of itself is like a photograph that reminds us and reminds us and reminds us of why we're here and who it is that bought with his blood our salvation. Let's pray. Holy God, I thank you for your plan that brought Christ to the cross sinless for us sinners to take upon the suffering and take upon the death in order that we might be free. I pray for anyone here today, Lord, who might be struggling with this, your spirit speaking to their heart, that they need to say yes to you. Lord, would you give them that opportunity today to say, Lord, save me, forgive me of my sin, come into my life, come into my heart. Lord, here I am, I'm yours. And that confidence that comes that now there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because of the cross. Lord, it's an awesome thing to be called your children, to be reconciled with you and with one another because greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. Give to us, Lord, that sense of your presence, your love as we worship you and think about what it is you've done on our behalf. In Jesus' name. Remember compassion. Remember reconciliation. 
Remember obedience. Remember Satan's defeat. Remember salvation. Understand it's the practice of the church. As we take our elements, that uh, we will pass the bread out in silence. Make that a time of prayer, of meditation, of thought. And then uh, after the bread's passed out, hold it and the cup will be passed out. And then we will uh, uh, have the band sing and give us some words to think about as part of the worship of the cross. And then uh, as, you, as we then at the end, we'll take the cup and the bread together. And uh, so in that regard. Now, if you're not saved and you're not sure, it, there's no embarrassment by passing it up. Uh, we would certainly would like to talk to you afterwards so that you might have assurance of going to, to uh, heaven. Uh, our practice as Baptists is, again, this is the Lord's table. It's his, uh, and so uh, we want to acknowledge him and allow you to participate if you're a member of his body, not necessarily a member of the church, okay? So let's call forward the, those that are going to be our service today.